But hey, I'm excited to be here with you all this morning. We're in our final week of a four-week series we're calling The Measure of a Man. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, there's some underneath the seats around you. Or if you want to pull up uh, maybe one on your phone, you can turn to Judges chapter 16. Judges 16. So let's do a quick review of what we've covered over the last few weeks. Samson was a man. Samson was a man with great potential. His birth, his birth was announced to his parents by an angel before they were even pregnant. And the angel announced that this boy would be special and that he was to be set apart from birth for service to God. God's specific plans were to use Samson to deliver the Israelites from the oppression of the Philistines. And so God blessed him with the gift of supernatural physical strength. But while he had great physical strength, what we've been looking at throughout this series is that, unfortunately for Samson, he was really weak in character. You know, our world today celebrates the gifted and the talented. Our world celebrates those who have accomplished great things. But the Bible says, while, God, while the world looks at all of these external traits, God looks at the heart. And so each week we've looked at uh, different internal traits that make for a really godly man. Week one, we looked at the measure of a man is his character. Week two, we said the measure of a man is his obedience. Last week, we said the measure of a man is his purpose. And today, uh, we're going to look at this. The measure of a man is his humility. His humility. The biblical word for humility is this. Uh, the biblical word, basically, you, you, could, you could use the word lowly or poor, needy or weak. Humility, biblically speaking, is in light of who God is and who we are, we are recognized, we recognize that we are without resources, that we are by nature needy people, that we don't have the resources to do life on our own. And so to be humble means to acknowledge that you are ultimately desperate for God. And do you know how God feels about a man who acknowledges and realizes his desperate need for God? Isaiah 66 verse 2 tells us, those, these are the ones I look on favor with, says the Lord, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. God loves a humble man. So let me ask you, men, here's the question of the morning. Are you humble? Would others describe you as being a humble person? Would your wife describe you as being humble? Would your children maybe describe you as being humble? Would your coworkers your neighbors, would you be described as being humble? I got to be honest, it's hard for me to preach this message. I, I struggle with pride and I struggle to share a message on humility, but I was reminded this morning by Steve who said, you know what, uh, oftentimes when we preach messages as uh, preachers, we have to first preach them to ourselves. So I'm preaching this message, men, just as much to myself this morning as I am to you. But God is drawn to the humble. Humility gets his attention. And I believe the Lord is looking for men in our church who will recognize their desperate need for God. And maybe this morning, in the next few minutes, God's going to use this message. He's going to speak to you. Before we go any further, I'd love to just pray and ask him to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, I am thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. And I am thankful that he modeled what humility looks like. I pray that this morning as we open up your word and as we look at Samson's life and even as we look at Jesus' life a little bit, Lord, I pray that you would teach us about humility. 
I pray, Father, that you would speak to us today, that you would open up our hearts and our ears today and let us hear your voice. You've got something to say to us this morning. Would you help us to hear it? I pray specifically for the men in this room. I pray for me and my own heart. Lord, would you help us to hear uh, your heart and your desire for how you want us to be humble. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's look at Samson. How, how, does, this, how does pride and, and humility play out in his life? Well, as we left off last week, Samson is supposed to be leading God's people, but now he's a prisoner to the Philistines. Let's pick up in Judges chapter 16, verse 21. Follow along. Judges 16, 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. Uh Uh-oh, did I skip something? Yes, I did. Uh, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Next verse. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain is in our hands. Basically, they're saying, Listen, this guy, Samson, who caused us all kinds of problems, now he's our prisoner. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. Can you imagine how sad and humiliating of a moment this must have been for Samson? I mean, he's hit rock bottom. He was supposed to free the Israelites from the oppression of the Philistines. And here they are. They now have him as a prisoner. They have him shackled and they're making a mockery of him. Think about for Samson how far he's fallen at this point. Look, uh, if you thought, think back to the story of his parents uh, that they must have told him when he was a child and young man about the angel and the announcement of his birth. And then there's this physical strength that he displays throughout his life. And now, here he is, he's fallen so far. Do you ever think Samson maybe in this moment was asking himself the question, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did it come to this as he's standing in front of them and they're making a mockery of him? Have you ever been in that place? you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever hit rock bottom and thought to yourself, how did I get here? How did, how did my life come to this? It's a humbling place to be. And this is where pride leads, though. Pride leads to this humbling place. Think about, you can think about multiple examples throughout our culture and throughout our time of men and women who started out with their lives having so much promise, but pride led them to a really humbling place. A recent example is just Ryan Lochte. Pride can ruin your life. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. Actually, look what Galatians says. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You could replace, uh, let's keep that passage up there. You could replace the word flesh with the word pride. And then you could replace the word spirit with the word humble and read it again. Whoever's led by pride will reap destruction. Whoever's led by humility will reap eternal life. Listen, Samson didn't stumble into this humiliating moment all at once. It was a series of prideful decisions that led him to this place. Samson kept feeding that monster called pride, and this is what he has to show for it. Pride is a nasty, nasty thing. What does God think about pride? Proverbs 16, 5 says this. 
The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. James 4, 6 says this. He gives grace to us, more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Isaiah, 20, Isaiah 2, 17 says, the arrogance of a man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The, alone, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Can you just see how pride played, the role pride played in Samson's life? It was only after he hit rock bottom did Samson humble himself and surrender. Let's look back at Judges 16, verse 28. It says this, then Samson prayed to the Lord. I want to stop right there. I want to draw your attention to that very first word, then. This word then is maybe the most important word in Samson's entire story. It's then Samson finally humbled himself. See, this word then is the hinge on which his whole story turns. He had lost everything. He had gotten to the lowest point of his life. He hits rock bottom, and finally he turns to God for help. It was only then when Samson surrendered his life and surrendered and cried out to the Lord, which, which raises, us, uh, raises a great question for us today. What will it take for you to humble yourself? What's the then moment that must occur in your life before you will humble yourself and surrender your life completely to the Lord? Will it take losing something or will it take maybe losing everything? Will it take losing your marriage? Will it take losing a friendship? Will it take losing a fortune or losing a dream before you humble yourself and surrender your life and your will to the Lord? That's what humility does. Humility confesses, I surrender, Lord. And that's number, point number one in your notes today. Humility confesses, I surrender, Lord. The antidote to the problem of pride is confessing, I surrender. The Bible often describes it this way. The Bible describes it as humbling yourself. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 11. Jesus says this, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, for years, I used to think, I used to pray that God would humble me, that God would give me humility. And then someone once said, you know, you should stop praying for that. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, study the Bible. It doesn't say you should pray for humility. The Bible says, humble yourself. And I had this aha moment where I realized I'm asking God to help, to, to, to give me humility. And he's saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to humble yourself. That's your role. If God humbles us, you know what happens? It's humiliating. <laughs> he allows circumstances and events to take place in our life till we get to the humiliating place. And he says, you know, if you would have humbled yourself, maybe we wouldn't have had to, you could have avoided this. Humble yourself. That's the role we have to play is to humble ourselves. Jesus modeled humility for us. He was the most humble man who ever walked on earth. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this about Jesus. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Did you look at that verse? How did, how did Jesus humble himself? By becoming obedient to death. See, according to the world, our life is like a ladder. 
And, and, and at the top of the ladder is success. And at the bottom of the ladder is failure. And apart from Christ, we will naturally see life through this lens, that our time and our energy will be devoted to climbing this ladder and getting to the top. And we do everything we can to avoid the bottom of the ladder because at the bottom of the ladder is failure. So we climb the ladder in our careers. We climb the ladder trying to make a name for ourselves. We climb the ladder seeking more influence. We climb the ladder trying to make more money and get a bigger house and get a better car. We climb the ladder in our relationships. If we're not careful, we can even climb the ladder in our own marriage. We climb and we climb and we climb. And yet Jesus reveals an entirely different worldview. He models for us what a real man looks like. Rather than seek his own glory, Jesus humbled himself. Rather than climbing up the ladder, Jesus lowered himself. Author Paul Miller has an illustration uh, in one of his books, and he, it's called The J-Curve. It's known as The J-Curve. I want you to picture this with me. He says, this is the picture of the gospel. I want you just look at the J there. On the left, uh, starting at the top of the short a short, a shorter side, you see the word life. If you trace that down to the bottom of the curve, you see death. You go up the right side, uh, the right side of the J, you have resurrection. And the J is a simple picture of what Jesus did for us. Instead of climbing the ladder, Jesus went down into death, and he lowered himself uh, down into death. He gave himself up sacrificially on the cross. But death was not the end of the story because Jesus rose from the dead and he was exalted by his father. And why did he do this? Why did he do this? He did this so that you and I could have life. He died. He lowered himself so that we could have life. And so the J is not only a picture of the gospel, but it's also a picture of how we live out the gospel every day. And here's how. When you humble yourself and you go low to the bottom, it feels like death. Why? Because you've given up a part of your life so that someone else can have life. Think about this with me. Did Jesus ever defend himself or fight for himself? No, not really, right? He humbly placed himself at the mercy of his accusers. Instead of fighting for ourselves and defending ourselves, instead of trying to prove we are right, which is a constant struggle for me, if we want to be like Jesus, we humble ourselves. We lower ourselves to the bottom. And at the bottom, what happens is we're at the mercy of others. And oh, doesn't that just, isn't that painful? When your life is at the mercy of someone else, that's why it feels like death to us. Because when we're at the bottom, we have less power because we've given power to someone else. We've placed the power of our lives in someone else's hands. So when we're at the bottom, we speak less. We don't say what we want. Instead, we remain silent and we listen more and we hold our tongue. When you're at the bottom, it feels like death because you go unnoticed, because you avoid the attention, and instead, someone else gets the attention in your life. And that feels like death. So humbling yourself and going low is like entering into death so that someone else in your life can experience life. I want you to think about this in the context of marriage, men. If you and your wife have an argument or a conflict... How often do you find yourself trying to win the argument and prove to her that you're right? Should I take a show of, hand, show, show of hands? How many of you did in the last 10 days? Who, how many of you, I'll, I'll just own this one, in the last 24 hours? It's like, you know, it's like when you get ready to preach a message, like the Lord just shows you, hey, by the way, you, 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 ain't, you, ain't, you don't have this figured out. Uh, but what happens? What happens when we, when we get in that, into, in, into, that, in, into that conflict? 
hum- humbling yourself means you give up your right to prove that you're right or to defend yourself or to win the argument. And instead, what you do is you seek to meet your spouse's need in that moment. And so maybe in that moment, instead of trying to prove that you're right, what your spouse really needs from you is your patience. What your spouse really needs is kindness and grace and compassion and understanding. And so instead of trying to win the argument or prove that you're right, you die to yourself, you lower yourself on that J-curve. And you give her what she needs. You give her life by giving her grace, by giving her patience, by giving her kindness, by giving her support and love, encouragement. That's what humbling yourself means. It means that you don't do something you want to do so that someone else can get what they need. It means serving someone who shows no gratitude or appreciation for your service. It means holding your tongue and not saying what you want to say. It means letting go of something you desperately want so someone else can get what they want. This is what humbling yourself looks like. It looks like regularly confessing your sin. It looks like actively submitting to the authorities in your life, whether they're good authorities or bad authorities. It it means receiving feedback from others graciously. Humbling yourself means accepting lowly places. It means you don't always have to sit at the the head of the table. It means you purposely associate with, with people of lower stature than you. It means you're choosing to forgive others. It means you're being quick to forgive. This is what it means to lower yourself. Humility is confessing, I surrender, and it means embracing the cross and dying daily to yourself. Well, Samson finally humbles himself. He cries out to the Lord, I surrender. Let's look back at the text again, verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. He cries out to him. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, Samson was a really complex guy, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but this series has been like, it's been eye-opening for me because Samson is just a, he's a messy character. And here he reveals his messiness once again because he prays for surrender, but then he prays for revenge. So let's just kind of unpack this a little bit. First, he says, have mercy on me. Strengthen me just once more. Samson is able, at least in this moment, to acknowledge that his strength is not his own. He finally recognizes that his strength comes from God. And that's what humility prays. Humility prays, strengthen me, Lord. And that's point number two in your notes. Humility confesses, I surrender. And humility prays, strengthen me, Lord. The word for strengthen here means to make strong. It implies that you don't have the strength within yourself that you need someone or something from the outside to help you be made strong. Now, men, let's just be honest. We like to think we're strong, don't we? I mean, Cameron's up here talking about the bar lifting, and I'm thinking, I'm not, I don't know what I could bench, but I'm I'm pretty sure there's some women in this room that could out-bench me. So, but I want my, I want my daughters to think I'm strong. I have two little girls, five-year-old, three-year-old, also a little boy, but I really want my daughters to think I'm strong. And for the last couple of years, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm manipulating their minds into thinking this. And so uh, what happens is every time I pick them up or carry them, right, whether I put them on my back or put them on my shoulders or I'm carrying them up the stairs or down the stairs, I always say, Daddy's strong. Daddy's strong. Well, after a couple of years of this, now I don't have to say it because you know what happens? I pick them up or I carry them. I throw them on my back. I put them on my shoulders. And inevitably, most often, They'll say, Daddy, you're so strong. That's right, I am, girls. Go tell your mother. (laughs) Meanwhile, my wife is just rolling her eyes going, oh, they're going to find out one day. (laughs) 
You ain't as strong as you think you are. We like to think we're strong, don't we? We say things like this. We say things like, I got this. I got this. I can handle this. We say things like, I, I, don't, I don't need anybody's help. Listen, men, when you find yourself saying things like that or thinking that, I want you to stop right where you're at. That's a red flag. That's your pride speaking. Instead, you need to tell yourself, this is not true. I, it's not true. I can't handle this on my own. I do need help. And pray the simple prayer, strengthen me, Lord. When you humble yourself, you're acknowledging that you need God's help. I, I mentioned Paul Miller. I, I, here's a verse that he, or a, pass, a quote of his I really liked. He says this, when we humble ourselves, we create a vacuum that's going down into the J-curve. So when you get to the bottom of the J-curve, you create a vacuum down there where God can step in and fill. Rather than trying to manage and control things on your own, Paul says, when we are at the bottom, at the bottom of the J-curve, we are dependent on others and we have less power. Uh, Paul Miller's become one of my favorite two authors and uh, two of his books, A Praying Life and Love Walked Among Us. I, 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 I just highly recommend them. You can just, if you want to jot down Paul Miller uh, and Google those. He teaches three subjects really well in, in both of those books. He teaches Jesus really well. He teaches prayer and he teaches love. And I'm, I'm, I'm just learning that if you're going to master any three subjects in life, Jesus, prayer, and love are the three that you want to master. And, uh, but I love, what, I love what Miller says. He says, when we humble ourselves, we create a vacuum where God can step in and he can help us and he can strengthen us. Pride says, I'm strong enough. But humility says, I don't have the strength. But I know where my strength comes from. It comes from the Lord. Humility says, strengthen me, Lord. The apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about what I'm strong in. Is that what he says? Isn't that just upside down and backwards? No, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's grace is sufficient for us. His power and his strength is, is, is exactly what we need. He has what you need to get through the meeting tomorrow. He has what you need to get through the, the financial stress you're experiencing right now. He has what you need to bring healing to your marriage or to your relationship with your parents. He has what you need to heal your wounds, to help you overcome fears, to help you get through the challenges you face. So many times it's obvious to everyone else in our lives that we need help. It's obvious to everyone else but, but to us. Our friends and families can look at us and say, yeah, you know, uh, what they really need to do is they need to get in a support group. Or they need to go to AA. Or you know what they really need to do? They need to go see a, a good Christian counselor. Or you know what they need to do? They need to turn their life over to Jesus Christ. But all the while, all the while we think, I've got this. I, I don't need any help. I can handle this. And we let our pride get in the way. I had a fascinating conversation this week at Starbucks. I met a guy in his mid-70s. And uh, we talked for over an hour. And, uh, but I'll give you the short version of the story. And he, he, he's in his mid-70s. And... Um, his name's Richard, and Richard was a civil engineer and uh, a very successful uh, civil engineer here in the Indianapolis area. And he had a major project about five or six years ago that he was working on, uh, a major development in Hendricks County. 
and he had spent so much time and energy. And this was kind of the, the, the for him, this was the, the last big project of his career. He had planned on retiring after this. And he wanted to go out with a bang. And so he worked really hard on this project. But every step of the way, he kept having people tell him no to this project, to this development. People in the area, in the subdivision, kept saying, no, we don't want this. And local officials said, no, this, this isn't going to work. But he kept pushing and he kept pushing. And Richard told me that he had all of his life savings, all of his money, all of his, everything he had, he had in this project. Well, eventually, the no's kept coming in, and eventually, he got turned down, and the project did not move forward. And he says, all logic said I should have given up, but I refused. He lost five to six million dollars, lost, lost his entire life savings. He said, the bank wanted their money, and so I lost everything I had. And he says, I couldn't let go. He says, I couldn't believe that I couldn't get this one done. He said, I had succeeded every other time, and I thought I could then. He said, but my ego got in the way. I should have given up, but I refused. It's amazing what pride can do to a person's life. People all around Richard were telling him no, were telling him to let go, were, sur- were telling him to surrender this, to stop, but Richard let his pride get in the way. And Richard's not a Christian. And most of you in this room, we're, most of you are Christians. And you know that God has designed his body, the church, to be like a family. That's why we're having this series called, uh, this, this push called Step Into the Family. Because we know that God uses people to strengthen us. And one of the primary ways that pr- God will answer the prayer, Lord, strengthen me, is through relationships that God wants to bring people into our life who will speak into our lives. Sometimes he uses family and friends. Sometimes he uses coworkers. But one of the practical ways that, that, that God may be trying to answer this prayer in your own life today is by prompting you to step into the family here at Genesis. And, and that's not just trying to... Uh, persuade you to serve or to get involved in a group for the sake of it, I, I, really, I'm really, I really believe the connection groups are one of, the, one of the best ways that you can grow in your relationship with God. I'm in a group on Tuesday mornings with a group of men. At, we meet at 645 on Tuesday morning over at Noblesville. And I texted the guys this week and was just curious to say, hey, what has Tuesday mornings meant for you? Why, why is it valuable? What's, why has it been good for you? And, uh, you know, it's kind of a risky question for the group leader to ask his group. Uh, thankfully, I, I, I trust that they're telling the truth. Uh, but here's a, here's a few things they said. Elijah said this. He said, uh, the guys on Tuesday morning hold me accountable to grow in my relationship with God. And that being part, being part of our group encourages me to become more and more like Jesus. Isaac said this. Tuesday mornings are really good for me because I'm challenged to get outside myself and to grow in my relationship with Jesus. He said, if I miss a week, I know I'm missing out on something I need. Mike said it this way. He said, I see the guys on Tuesday morning as my board of directors. Mike's a young business guy. He said, in business, you surround yourself with people who will help you navigate challenges and achieve success. He said, a few years back, I realized I needed a group of guys to help me navigate and overcome the challenges of life and of faith. Brad said this, I get to surround myself on Tuesday mornings with other men who are trying to figure out how to be the spiritual leader of their household. And we get to encourage one another in our relationship with the Lord. Then. I just want to tell you, don't try to do life on your own. If you try to do life on your own, you're going to fail. You're going to fail miserably. You need to surround yourself with some other men who are seeking the Lord. You need to pray, Lord, strengthen me, and you need to ask God, bring some men into my life. Go to him first and say, Lord, bring some men into my life. And sign up for one of, these men's, uh, one of our men's connection groups. Maybe he's going to use one of our groups to help 
uh, bring some men around you who can speak into your life, who can look at you and tell you you're being arrogant and prideful when you are, or who can encourage you and, and, and speak life into you when you're hurting or when you're struggling. Okay, back to Samson. So Samson finally confesses, I surrender, and then he prays, strengthen me, Lord. But here comes the problem with Samson. Here comes the messiness. Uh, and the problem is this, that Samson's still lacking some humility. He's still being uh, selfish and sinful. Listen to, again, look at the passage, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 28. Listen why he asked God for strength. He says, Sovereign Lord, remember me. He said, have mercy on me. He's calling out. Don't forget me, Lord. I need you is what he's saying. I surrender. Then he says, please, God, strengthen me just once more. So he's saying, Lord, I, need, I, I recognize you're my source of strength. I need some strength. And then here's what he says. He says, let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. Now, here's the thing. Uh, the request for revenge doesn't seem like a bad thing if, if, at first glance, if you, if, but if you think about it, and you, you remember that each time the Spirit of the Lord gives Samson his strength throughout his life, he used it for himself. It was always about him. It was always for his own personal gain, and he does it once again. Samson wrongly asked God for revenge. Uh, he, he says in Romans, uh, look at Romans 12, 19. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Samson, <laughs> Samson cries out. He surrenders. He asks for God for strength. Why? Because he wants to get revenge. I just see him struggling with his, even there, he's just struggling with his pride. And, and here's the thing. He's a mess. So am I. I, I, and, I, I, and so are you. Well, this is why we need the Lord. This is why we need to learn what humility is, why we're desperate for God. If Samson would have humbled himself and given up his right to revenge, he would have left room for God to avenge what had happened to him. And what Samson should have said is this, I trust the Lord. That's point number three in your notes today. Humility declares, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. I'm not going to take revenge. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm not going to try to fix this mess that I'm in. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to trust you. I realize that things are never going to be the same in my life, but I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to try and rush through this time of healing and recovery in my life. I'm going to wait on you and trust what you have for this season of my life. I realize I'm a mess, and I'm a disaster waiting to happen on my own, but through you, Jesus... By, by your grace, by your strength, th through how you want to work in my life, I know that you can, you can get me through this. So Samson should have, shouldn't have sought revenge. He should have declared, I trust you, Lord. But on the other hand, Samson did have enough faith to ask God to remember him, to have mercy on him, to strengthen him once more. He, he must have trusted the Lord to some degree because he seemed to have the faith that God would answer his prayer. Because he puts himself, he, has to be, he, has, he says, place me next to the pillars. Place me next to the pillars. And he must have trusted that the Lord would in some way use his last efforts to redeem his life and God's purpose for his life. Let's look at the story again. There's the end of the story. Judges chapter 16, verse 28 through 30. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. Let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson, look at this. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. I want you to picture this. Look at this. Commentary says the pillars must have been close enough that he could have done this. What image does this remind you of? Let's keep reading. 
Verse 30, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his, all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Did Samson have the potential for so much more in his life? You bet. Unfortunately, his pride and his selfish ambition prevented him from realizing all of God's potential. And I would argue that his pride kept him from enjoying the kind of life God had planned for him. Did he waste his life? Well, here's what we know for certain. That God was going to deliver his people from the Philistines regardless of Samson's faithfulness. See, our faith is not in our faithfulness. Our faith is always in God's faithfulness. God is the one who is faithful. And in spite of the mess he made of his life, and in spite of the mess we make of our life, God still used Samson, and he can still use you and me. In fact, you may not realize this, but there's a brief mention of Samson later on in the New Testament. It's, it's in the most profound chapter in all of the New Testament when, it, when you think about uh, Samson's story, because it's, it's called the chapter of faith. It's often referred to as the hall of faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11. Why in the world would Samson appear there? Look at Hebrews 11. The Hebrews writer says this, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, and Samson. Skip, skip down the next line. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, and who shut the mouths of lions. Verse 39 goes on to say this. They were all, here's what's fascinating. They were all, including Samson, commended for their faith. How is Samson commended for his faith? I mean, we've been looking at the last four weeks. I mean, he failed over and over and over again. He was selfish over and over again. What's the story? Why, why does Samson get commended for his faith? Well, I think in this last scene, we see him exp uh, expressing some level of faith, but that's not, the, that's not the point of the story. Samson may have made, may, may have made a mess of his life, but the truth remains that God accomplished something through Samson. He still used him, and that's the truth for us today. If God can accomplish something good through a life that ended like Samson's, then surely God can do something amazing with your life as well. Listen, if you're, if you're at a low point today, if you're discouraged today, I want you to know if you're still breathing, God's not done with you. It's not over for you. You may be down, but it doesn't mean you're out. What could God do with your life starting today? I know some of you are ready to call it quits. Maybe there's one or two of you this morning. You came in this morning and you thought to yourself, I'll go to church just this morning. It's my last attempt at trying to figure out what to do next. You think, I I've fallen too far. Life has gotten too complicated. I can't get myself out of this. Listen, nothing, nothing is too great for God. Nothing is too complicated for God. If you'll humble yourself, if you'll surrender your life to Jesus... He has everything you need. God can heal your wound. He can fix your broken heart. He can help you overcome your addiction. He can get you back on the right path. He can bring healing to your marriage. He can help you be the man or the parent or the grandparent that, that God wants you to be. And, and please don't miss this, though. The path to healing, the path to strength, is to surrendering to Jesus Christ. It's humbling yourself. It's swallowing your pride and saying, Lord, I'm giving it all to you. I surrender all to you. Go back to that image. There's a concept that runs throughout the Old Testament that is this, that Jesus is the better version of. Jesus was the better version of Moses. Jesus was the better version of Jacob. Jesus was the better, better version of David. Jesus was the better version of Elijah. Jesus was the better version of Samson. Samson 
is a picture of Christ. He ended up dying so that he could accomplish God's purposes in a much, much greater way. Jesus died on the cross for you and me to accomplish a much greater purpose so that you and I could have life. He went low so that you and I could have life. I I hope that uh, you'll surrender your life to the Lord. You'll humble yourself in a fresh and a new way. Let's pray. Father, uh, I'm thankful for your word. And I'm thankful for the fact that you can take uh, and use a guy like Samson's life for your glory and for your good. And uh, Lord, I'm thankful that you do that still today. That still today you take uh, the brokenness and the messiness of our lives and that you work it all together ultimately for our good and for your glory, that you have a good plan for us. Lord, I think about the cross and I think about what Jesus did for us on the cross and how he humbled himself to death so that we could have life. We could have new life, Lord. And just as you raised Christ from the dead, the same power is available to us that you want to bring us not only eternal life, but abundant life, Jesus. I know it all begins and starts with the words, I surrender. Lord, would you help us to do that maybe in a fresh, in a new way, in a renewed way this morning? We as a church family, we come to you and we say to you, I surrender. I pray this in the name of Jesus.